0: Hello, I'm Daniel Simpson, the host of Ancient Futures. Um, If you're hearing this, you're listening to a preview of an archived podcast. For the full conversation, go to ancientfutures.substack.com, the link is in the show notes, and become a paid subscriber. Or you can also sign up for a free seven-day trial with no obligation. If you already subscribe, however, you have access to everything via the website, um, where you can go to your account page to set up a feed to your favourite podcast app. Just follow the instructions at ancientfutures.substack.com forward slash account. Now everything is free at the time of release, so it's also possible to subscribe without any charge to get the latest episodes direct to your inbox, along with other interviews and things that I write. All of that does take time to produce though, so while it's a labour of love, subscriber donations do help make it sustainable. But if you're not in a position to pay, just send me a message and we'll work something out. For now, on with the preview. Hello and welcome to Ancient Futures, where we talk about paradoxes, such as how to let go and find the strength to move forwards. Today, I'm joined by Peter Sterius, uh, who's been practising yoga since the 1970s. Uh, he also founded Manduka, the yoga mat company, and uh, we talk towards the end about whether there's a tension between entrepreneurship and yoga philosophy. Before that, though, we start with the story of Peter's apprenticeship to Shandor Emete, the uh, uncompromising teacher of shadow yoga, who was his mentor for 20 years before dismissing him. Now, that rupture was painful, but it taught Peter a lesson. And uh, as a result, he had to find his own way by embracing adversity. And there were many other challenges that reinforced this, uh, including breaking his back, which he uh, eventually healed with help from yoga. To do this he had to become more subtle in his teaching and his practice and uh, that meant letting go of uh, a lot of what he picked up from uh, BKS Iyengar's rather rigid approach uh, while studying in Pune in India He also drew on some of what he learned from a meditation retreat with S.N. Goenka, who uh, Iyengar used to tell his students not to visit. (laughs) So he's got lots of fascinating stories and uh, he's written a book about them uh, titled Gravity and Grace, uh, which goes into more detail about those uh, and also his his method of teaching yoga. You can find out more at his website, which is linked in the show notes at uh, ancientfutures.substack.com. And you can also, if you feel moved, donate there to support the podcast. Um, All contributions help and they are greatly appreciated. For now, though, let's get to it and dive deep into yoga and some of its shadows with Peter Sterios. Peter, welcome.
1: Thank you, Daniel. It's a pleasure
0: pleasure to be speaking to you um there's two reasons in particular that i'm very excited to have the chance to speak to you uh, one is that you uh, created the uh, the yoga mat to which i have devoted my practice by standing on it every morning for the past decade or so manduka um and secondly because you were kind enough to send me a copy of your book uh, gravity and grace which uh I'd like to talk to you a little bit about um from the perspective of you know particularly the last part of the title grace and this uh this question of uh what has to open up in us i think uh, to to get anywhere really with yoga practice because there's a, a lot of emphasis in the modern yoga world on doing things everybody thinks of yoga as a thing to do but yoga is kind of what happens <laughs> when we let go of the attempt to do everything and uh, you start with a really nice quote on that uh, from uh French author Simone Weil, um talking about how grace is what fills the empty spaces in us, but we've got to clear things out of the way for those spaces to exist, and it's grace that enables us to do that. So it's one long process of letting go, and your oh. book's a whole, a whole sequence of events involving letting go. And uh, I'd really like to start by talking about the one that you opened the book with, um, your relationship with a teacher who had an enormous influence on your life, uh, Shandor Remete and uh, at the same time who a bit like other famous teachers have done throughout yoga history told their students off you go now you've got all you're getting goodbye <laughs> and <laughs> i wonder if we could rewind
1: was <laughs> that i wish it had been that civil
0: but <laughs> <laughs> well, i'd like to ask you about that dimension as well but uh, i wonder if we could just rewind to how you ever got involved with Shandor in the first place uh, you were sure. living at that time in new zealand is that right
1: correct yeah and yeah. uh, my relationship with yoga in those days before New Zealand was pretty casual. And, And, you know, I accidentally discovered yoga, like many people do, and just random interaction. And there was something in me that drew me towards it, you know, like I could feel this pull. And my first experience of it was profound. I had this a uh, unique experience of this slight separation from my physical body and some other type of body what I have referred to I think as my energy body you know like there were things that were moving and I didn't understand what they were and that rose the curiosity for me to practice but it was never done with any philosophy in mind it was just a physical practice being an athlete so Throughout college, I would tokenly go to uh, a yoga class or I would do little yoga poses before working out in the gym. And it was great cross training, but uh, I had no space in my life for anything more than that. I had this experience after university of uh, working for someone who was a captain of a local rugby team. And I didn't even know what rugby was not big Uh, in america is it yeah no Uh, ironically the americans i learned this years ago the first olympic rugby gold medal was won by america
0: and this is
1: so back and most of the team was these expatriate (laughs) scottish irish english you know so it was not really america but it was anyway so we we I get this job. One of the conditions of the job is you got to play on our rugby team because I was an athlete and a lot bigger, stronger, et cetera, faster. And uh, and so I enjoyed this rugby team and I enjoyed the sport. And there was something really athletically satisfying and challenging about it that I was just naturally drawn to. And unbelievably, this team, our seven side, won a national championship. And so we had a member of our team was a New Zealander. And he said, Hey guys, I can organize this tour in New Zealand. Um, Do you go, do you want to go? And there was 10 of us and we all said, yeah, let's go. So, and I had just come out of a relationship. So I was ready for an adventure. And so we go to New Zealand and we play these matches. And then I realized I want to stay in New Zealand. And, and so I stay in New Zealand and I, I play on a team that's a club team. And in American playing rugby in those days was, uh, I don't know, we were so bad that I think the only reason they let me play was for entertainment, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and they have a good to, laugh. To knock you down probably as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think. And, and so I realized that uh, I was going to get hurt and that I needed to, I was too old. Basically, I was late 20s and everything I was playing One was in her early 20s. And so literally within a couple of weeks, I was uh, living in Wellington and I came across a, a board that had a flyer about a yoga class. I think, great, I want to do some yoga. And the teacher of that yoga class was a student of Shandor's and she was hosting him in two weeks. And she said, I think you'd really like this teacher. You guys are kind of similar, you know. And I think she was saying, you're you're a man and you're kind of athletic and you're kind of your ego is a little bigger than it needs to be. And I think you'll kind of like him, you know. And uh, and so I showed up and it was the first male teacher I'd ever experienced. And so that was unique. he was he was a strong, athletic man who not only that was uh, ex-special services in the Australian Army in Vietnam. So there was this level of macho-ness that in those days, I was kind of attracted to, you know, it was like, wow, this is a man's man. And I want to hang out with a man's man, because I grew up during the women's liberation movement era in the 60s. And so testosterone was like a, like a toxic chemical in those days. And I just wanted to move as far away from that as possible. And there's a whole lot of psychology behind that. But I felt like Shandor's gonna fill a void in me. And that that was exactly what happened. There was something about how he delivered the message of yoga that went right into the deepest core of me. And I was having these profound post-class experiences after attending his classes and workshops. And so my understanding of yoga was you you commit, you, you don't jump around to different teachers, you just commit to one master teacher. And that's what I did. And for 20 years, I studied with him. Every time he'd come to New Zealand, which was once a year, I would go to Auckland, Wellington Christchurch and take time off from work and study with him. And the relationship continued when I moved back to the States and he had not taught much in the states and he asked me to kind of manage his tours here and that's where we got really close traveling together for a couple months a year
0: i'm intrigued by the way in which he taught though which you describe in your book um in slightly less flattering terms you talk about uh, if i remember rightly a vehement tone and a subliminal threat of humiliation <laughs> And uh, i wonder how that squares with the deeper states of yoga you just alluded to
1: well he was just parodying his teacher his teacher uh, being dks Iyengar, which yes. i at that point didn't know who he was or but once i met Iyengar, then then it was like oh this is where Shandor gets that from and plus he's hungarian you know like he it's like in most kind of eastern european uh countries that uh, there's that tradition of macho you know and and my heritage is the same Greek, you know, there's that quality of macho that, I don't know, you know, it's out out of balance, I think uh, for most men, uh, but there's a necessary component of being macho. That's why men are men. And Mm -hmm. I, I feel like yoga practice. I said this recently at a convention um, that yoga is about the integration of the masculine principle and the feminine principle. And when that integration happens, literally, the state of beings that we create are non-binary. And th- in this current age, this word non-binary is really um, charged. It, it has a charge to it on both sides of the t- uh, conversation. But when you look at it from a yoga perspective, we this journey that we're on in life is to recognize that the... the uh, all of us, doesn't matter the gender, all of us have this masculine and feminine principle. And the goal of yoga is to bring it into balance into the central channel of our lives. And once it's in balance, there isn't a strong attachment to whether I'm a man or a woman. It's just this shared experience of wholeness that we all possess the potential for. And once we have that, The conversation loses its charge. We relate to each other as brother and sister. And for me, that's the way I'm living my life now, that I make space for conversations. And I'm not too attached to the outcome of those conversations because ultimately our goal is to recognize our oneness and period.
0: Sounds like, though, when you were younger, um, you had, I mean, first of all, that description of your, your sort of uh, attraction to a strong male authority figure. Um, but you had a, a sense, perhaps, that you needed to get somewhere through yoga practice. That's so there right. was Something you had to build up <laughs> rather than exactly. let go of. And it was as if Shandor had all the secrets and, and exactly. that one day he might reveal them to you. Yeah. Uh, yeah and I, a I bit found about out later for.
1: Hmm, okay, cool. I, I found out later that 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 kind of uh, attractive quality of someone like myself seeking out that strong masculine presence was in some ways his way of marketing you know like he had a very unique role in a even in those days in an industry where most of the ordinary not ordinary most of the Typical yoga teachers in those, you know, that time period were female, and you know, for me, that was my experience for the first two years of my understanding of yoga. Um, The female teachers were teaching me stuff I didn't even know what they were talking about, and they were moving their bodies in ways that I thought I'll never be able to move. That's that's how women move. I can't move like that. I don't have that degree Mm -hmm. of flexibility until I met met Shandor. And he had something that I wanted. He had flexibility and strength and he had a very strong masculine principle that I had been programmed out of. I was a peacemaker, you know, I I was, um, you know, a helper. I had that kind of orientation because I was raised basically by a single mother. And it's not that my parents weren't in relationship, but my dad was working 10, 12 hour days And exhausted at the end of the day. So this was, for me, this kind of reaction to what was predominantly learning how to be a man from a woman's perspective. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it was out of balance. Um, And and I was seeking balance. And (laughs) Shandor took me to the other extreme. You know, it's like this polarization. And it wasn't until our severing of relationship that i had the opportunity to resolve that polarization and that process took me probably five five or six years to understand what i was dealing with
0: Can we talk a little bit about that that separation process um it sounded very very sharp very sudden and uh, very blunt uh, you quote some of the things he said to you in your book um First of all, telling you it's time to get off the tit uh, because you shouldn't be either a a soldier or an apprentice. They were the two worst things in life to be. So expecting everything from him after this much time was too much. And then he also told you that you shouldn't teach anything that he taught you, which uh, I I really didn't quite know how to process. And I, I wonder how you made sense of that. Particularly, you know, spent all this time accumulating all this
1: knowledge and he he tells you, well, that's mine. You go and find your own. You can't talk about that stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly the lead up to that confrontation at the end was that I had been, you know, studying with him for 20 years and assisting his North American programs and making, you know, personal sacrifices to support his uh, life here in the States. And it, I was getting compensated for it and and not even financially, but also energetically. I was learning so much. Yeah. I had a seat on stage, literally, of watching him teach and assisting his teaching and traveling and practicing with him before our classes. We would practice. We'd get up at three in the morning, practice from four to six, and then he'd start teaching at six. So that that I wouldn't trade for anything. But there were esoteric practices that he was doing in those morning practices before class that he wouldn't teach me, he'd just say, sit and watch. And, mm-hmm. and I started to get a little, uh, well, how come he's not? I'd started to question what's his philosophy here? Why, why is he excluding me from practicing those things? And, and so I was getting impatient and everything was starting to come to a head for me, like I want the good stuff. I want that special stuff. These, these was uh, that
0: things like kichuri mudra. You yeah, exactly. cut his tongue, popping it up in, in the back.
1: Yeah, yeah. I wasn't going to cut my tongue, but I, I saw what he was doing before he cut his tongue, and I wanted to learn those. And he he wouldn't <laughs> teach me. Yeah, and uh, so those kinds of practices, I felt um, it was I had earned the right to receive them. And so I left the, these are pre emailed kind of days. I left a message on his answering machine saying, uh, and it was a long message. And I said, Hey, I want to learn this stuff. And his his short reply on my answering machine when he, when I got the message was, yes, it's time we talk. And I was super excited by that because I know he can be very cryptic at times with communication really short and to the point. And so I had this optimism and this hope that, okay, he sees me, you know, like I'm going to get the good stuff. And, and as the story goes, that I talk about in the book, the month that he was here in the U S traveling together, he didn't mention the talk once. And I wasn't going to press him because I figured he's going to tell me in his own time. And on the last day, Literally, he's flying to Australia in two hours. He says, come on, let's take a walk. And uh, we've got something to talk about. And I I, finally, but what's he going to say in this short period of time? The taxi's coming in like 50 minutes. And we get to a park in my neighborhood, sit on a bench. And he says, Peter, you know this story. There's two things in life. You don't want to be a soldier and apprentice. And in that moment, this like mental curtain just came crashing down on me and everything mentally went blank. And it was like, what is he saying to me? And there was adrenaline coursing through my body. I could feel it. And it was like, Oh, something big's about to happen here. And then he went on. And then the famous line, it's time to get off the tit. And in that moment, the, the, a wave of despair, almost realizing that the life I had known up until that for the last 20 years was gone. And so we walked in silence back to my house and there was a coldness in his energy towards me. And I was in shock and he gets his bags. The taxi is at the curb already I'm just standing out in the front porch. Uh, He's in the house getting his bags. He comes out, walks right past me without even looking at me, gets to the cab, throws his bag in the back. The driver goes around one way. He goes to the other. He opens the door and, you know, that's it. And then he stops, turns around, and the street is pretty close. And he just says, oh, by the way, don't teach anything I ever taught you. And he gets in the cab and he drives off. And I'm standing you know, on the, on the porch, just going, what just happened? You know, like, what am I going to teach? What am I going to do? And the rest of that story evolved, you know, like it just, the shock, the reaction to shock, the, the trying to escape, stop practicing yoga. You know, I, I just was in a tailspin, but eventually time kind of creates environments where, you start to pick it apart, excuse me, pick it apart. And uh, I started to see that it was a gift. What he gave me was a gift. And I've not seen him do that to too many other teachers, senior teachers of his, where he asks them to leave. Um, yeah, this was a a break that was not of my choice, but in the end, and when I ran into him many years later, I got a confirmation that he gave that to me. He didn't, uh, it wasn't something that he was doing to me. It was something that he was doing for me. And just my psychology needed an initiation into manhood. That's by myself. And what does it really mean to be a man? And it's not following men don't make great followers. They're, you know in a way been programmed to be leaders and for me it's not that women can't be leaders but that dna is so strong in men and i lacked it i i I didn't feel like i had it
0: certainly stepping into one's own autonomy seems very important in in that exactly and um at the same time though i do feel moved to question whether he could do that slightly differently you mention at the end of the book that the sort of measure of how helpful your yoga practice is in your life is whether it makes you kinder. And I wonder if he could have done that more kindly and still achieved the desired effect.
1: That's a that's a big question. And with his uh journey, his his life's journey, he has kindness. I've seen him do amazingly kind things how much of his teaching was theatric you know this is this is the role as teachers that yoga teachers find themselves in when you go to an average yoga class there's a lot of theater in these classes and i think in those days there was theater in his teaching and maybe this was theater for him i don't i can't answer that i've never sat down and said did you really intend to do that or were you in reaction to something and Again, I could dwell on the negative here instead of, oh, he didn't do it kindly. But what he did was so strong and powerful, it shook the very foundation of what I, my ego attached to. Mm-hmm. And so that break in ego attachment, if you look at all the spiritual traditions in the world, that's a necessary step. And he gave that to me. He just cut my knees out from under me, and how many people.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this preview. Uh, to continue listening and to get access to all archived episodes along with other perks, visit ancientfutures.substack.com